You're listening to a special three-part podcast series from Mr. Porter and Blamo. I'm your host, Jeremy Kirkland. Throughout this series, I'll be inviting some of the industry's biggest authorities to discuss, dissect, and generally nerd out over their favorite subjects. This time, I'm joined by Eric Goldstein, founding partner of Gene Shop, and Michael Williams, founder of A Continuous Lean. We talk about the origins of denim and how the industries have evolved to be more sustainable, and why so many people continue to love, repair, and wear the humble cotton jean. Gentlemen, so I'm glad you're here. We're going to be chatting a little bit about denim, and I'm thankfully I'm joined by two experts in this in this field. So we have Mr. Eric Goldstein. Uh, Eric, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, Pre- appreciate it. And Michael Williams. Hello, hello. Nice to be here. Before we we jump in, I do want to go into just a little bit of background about each of you. So, Eric, I would say for me, like the thing that always comes to my mind is is not only Gene Shop and the businesses that you've done, but you are basically doing so much in denim that if you can correct me if I'm wrong, didn't like Ralph Lauren personally hire you? Yeah. What, yeah. Can you just like briefly explain your your background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I graduated from. Um, what, what was then called Philadelphia College of Textiles and Science with a degree in textile technology. And oh, I, wow. Yeah, I was hired right out of school to work for um, Polo Ralph Lauren Corporation. So I was 21 years old, and I was working in the quality control division out of New Jersey, measuring jeans, checking shade colors, you know, traveling to laundries throughout the world, and did that for about two years, and then got a phone call one day from my boss saying, you know, Ralph wants to meet you in, in, in New York, and I'm like, Ralph who? I didn't even know had any idea who I was. <laughs> right. And I'm a young kid. And, and yeah, what kind of went on from there. Um, started Double RL, sat around a table with a, you know, a bunch of other people, and uh, it, it just developed. We didn't even have a name for Double RL back in the day when we started it. Um, so I worked with Ralph very closely on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, some amazing stories and experiences that, are, that I, still, you know, re- I still refer to on a daily basis with him. I learned a lot. Right. He's always challenging. He always says, you know, I thought I had a great, it's a long story, but I have a patent with him. We patented a finish on jeans. And, um, wait, yeah. hold on. That's awesome. I yeah. just need to call that like a patent yeah. finish on jeans. That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And he drove me to do it. He's like, you, you, you could do it. You could do better. You could, you know, be more innovative. And I don't want to go to market with something that other people are doing. I want to do something different. Right. Is it a patent on the technique or on the technique? The, yeah, on the yeah. technique. Yeah. yeah, which is now outdated and, you know, it's only patents good for 17 years, so it's over. But yeah, it's cool. Great. Amazing experience. But I would say a lot of people know you now from Gene Shop. Yeah, from Gene Shop. Absolutely. And from The Gap. I spent 11 years at The Gap. Yeah. Developed in uh, 1969. Yeah. That was their sort of best denim ever. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's awesome. Thanks for, for sharing. And, and Michael, uh, you are... A continuous link. I would say for, uh, you know, me and many people, uh, you made selvage denim important again. And you basically had this ability to um, get something that was more insider and inside baseball. And the, the way that you wrote and the way that you talk, you've, you've always had this ability to open things up to other people. And I really admire that about you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I, I didn't, you know, I... I just sort of talked about some of this stuff, I think, at the right moment. And, you know, I was kind of into things that maybe were a little more subdued than they are now. Or, you know, I I don't know. It's I still think, like, selvage denim, if you asked 
100 people on the street what salvage denim probably two would know. I mean, it's still like a, such a Absolutely. niche thing. <laughs> well, real quick, we're going to have a, a few like knowledge bombs that are dropped during this. Knowledge bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that has a segment intro. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm not challenged. <laughs> um, can, can one of you very briefly explain what salvage denim is? Well, Eric should explain it. What? Yeah, yeah. So salvage denim, it's, it's the way the actual denim was woven back in the day on a 39 inch loom approximately 39 inches okay. 42 inch come on no, so i'm just so, so, so the, the edges of the fabric are actually woven as opposed to to a raw edge so when you use the selvage on the outseam of a jean you don't have to put an overlock stitch on it you know there's no bulky stitch on the edge of the fa- of the selvage right so a selvage jean traditionally in this day and age is cut as i said on like anywhere on fabric from 30 39 to 42 inches and and the, the selvage runs on the outseam of the jean, and a lot of people put it in a coin pocket as well, traditional detail. Um, in jean shop, we added on the fly piece as well, just to clean it up a little bit. Right. But um, it's the edge of the fabric where it's actually woven, not a raw edge. It has to be sewn. It's like two finished edges on a narrow piece of fabric yep. or cloth yep. that is made for making denim, mm-hmm. like making jeans. Like the, It's not, you know, I think the revolution in jeans, and we'll probably get to this, came at a certain point when you know looms got really wide yep. and then they were just making like big quantities and it you know they drove the cost structure of everything down so salvage is like it's it's basically i think a signifier for quality because mm-hmm. it was like this old style it's slower it's more expensive to make it's a lot slower it, it, it could take up to literally up to two hours to make enough denim for one pair of jeans on on an old wooden shuttle loom oh geez literally two hours to make enough enough denim for one that's a fact and compared to say a mass manufacturer uh, now that's non-selvage 30 seconds 75 seconds <laughs> literally it's highly automated the, the, okay. the newer air jet looms where 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 air just pushes a yarn back and forth versus an old wooden shuttle that's a big clunky like an old printing press i always refer to it's it's an old machine like that oh N- another reason that selvage is more expensive the yield what we call the yield how you put your puzzle pieces together on, on the fabric right is not so efficient all the time because you're using both of your straight edges as your as your as your seam. Okay. So you're laying one leg on one, one leg on the other, and then you're trying to figure out what to do with the fabric in the middle. So, so there's a lot of excess fabric. Correct. More more so than in, in wide goods where you could kind of really have much better utilization. Okay. Because these jeans have such powerful memories or, or denim specifically, I was curious to ask. Uh, like Michael, what was your first pair of jeans? Like, do you remember? No, I have no idea. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> they weren't salvage. I'll, I'll tell you. No, that. that's for sure. They're probably Mine, from the either. Gap. You know, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I you know grew up shopping at malls and stuff. So, and it's like I I don't think I figured this stuff out. You know, that's why I I look at a lot of like kids on social media and just like kids out in the wild and young people. You know, and. I'll call them kids because I'm old. and But you see them and you're like, you know, they're cr- wild. It's crazy. They have crazy style. And I, and I think, like, I wouldn't go near that. You know, I, I'm so far away from that mentally. Right. But, you know, I understand, like, that's a moment in time and you end up, you know, being a little crazy trying to figure out what your style is, right. you know, over there. So you do some crazy things. So or the only reason I bring that up is because I think when I was younger, I would... You know, I would wear crazy stuff, and I wasn't. I didn't figure out selvage denim, you know, up until a certain point, and then I advanced style. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I think like to your point about if you look at sort of American contributions to fashion or menswear, you know, however you want to look at it, workwear and you know, sort of these utilitarian clothing. 
utilitarian pieces of clothing that's you know that's a real and significant contribution to you know we're not the only ones that did it the french did it many other people oh did for it. sure for, yep but that's a big thing and it's something that originated here and you know and i think the the other thing is sportswear you know sort of casualization of clothing i think sportswear like really was driven out of the u.s right mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you look at America and you look at when sort of even in the 30s, 30s and 40s at denim, you know, in the sort of mystification of the cowboy and the Western guy, like that was denim. Yeah. You know, and it's like Levi's and, and you know, this Western, the cowboy and all that stuff. I mean, Levi's Le- Wrangler and Lee back yeah. then. Yeah. And, and I don't think Levi's at a certain point, like it didn't really until the 50s wasn't even sold on the East Coast anywhere. So it was like purely a Western thing. And I think just that sort of drove it too, but it's, you know, it's comfortable and, you know. Yeah. So when the gap opened in 1969, they were, they were selling Levi's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that was the original gap was selling Levi's. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, Eric, what attracted you to denim in, in general? I mean, cause you, you said you went to school for textile design. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what attracted me to it? I love, I love products that, that change and evolve with life. I love a product that could tell a story. You'll rarely see me in a pair of wool pants or, or, you know, anything with nylon. It's like I'm always wearing e- either, you know, denim or leather or, or both together. Um, oh, there you, it's go. both, you, you know, you put a great pair of jeans on, you can wear it, you have to repair it. You know, it, it tells a story. It, it, it's with you for many, many years mm-hmm. and, and it evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put a pair of raw jeans on, you want to wear, you know, dress it up with, with you know, a nice pair, nice pair of shoes and, 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 a, and a blazer and a tie and, and it fits right in any place in the country these days, any place in the world these days almost, you could wear a nice pair of dark jeans. Right. But that same pair of jeans, you know, six, eight, ten years later, if you wear it frequently, it's the kind of jeans you're going to want to sit on a couch wearing on a Sunday while you watch football. And it's going to be torn up and tattered and repaired and, and it tells so many stories of your life. We have, we have something called the Wall of Fame in Jean Shop, which is we, you could come and trade in your jeans. So you could take a pair of jeans of our jeans, you wear them, you bring them back in if they're worthy of the wall. You sign, <laughs> you sign them, you date them, and you write us a blog about your, the jeans, and then we give you a new pair to start. Oh, just like free new pair? Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Um, but they have to be worthy. There's not that many jeans that are worthy. Uh, and, okay. and, 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 then, and then a lot of times, if they are, people don't want to give them up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it always amazes was, me when people say, okay, you can have them. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. I have a couple of pairs of jeans. I'm like, I would never part with these. Right. Well, why is that? Just... Th- you know, it's like what you're saying. It's like, one, they're just so comfortable. But, they, you know, that's like uh, five years of my life or something in yeah. those jeans, you know, and you kind of remember all Memories. these little things. Yeah. It's cool. It's like a living, breathing. I'm really into baking, right? Baking bread, which is kind of funny. Oh, shout out Baking Man. And, and, I love Great British yeah. Bake Off. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. It's great. God bless. Such it. a good show. And, and all, <laughs> and super positive that show. Like, no yes. one's fighting with each other. It's yeah. Like, you know, it's like, getting yelled at. Yeah, there's just, like, no artificial drama in there. Yeah. But the thing that I'm thinking about is, like, sourdough. Like, if you look at, like, a starter, like a sourdough starter, it's, like, this living, breathing thing, and that helps, like, generate. And I sort of, you know, that helps create new bread. And I look at jeans, and I'm like, these are kind of like a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, too smelly and living and breathing. But, <laughs> but it's cool. Like, you go from raw. I have, like, I have, like, five pairs of jeans that are, like, in... Like one that's like on the shelf that's new, one that is like rinsed and worn like a little bit, and then all the way to like right destroyed. And you, you use know? each one for different different yeah, occasion. Yeah, totally. Well, but see, you know, I'm sure there there's other items that you own that you've owned for as long as the jeans. But like, what is it about 
the genes because the first thing you said was these memories. No, they age with you. So, so you know, they evolve. Really? Um, Has the fit gene shop fit evolved over the years? Oh yeah, absolutely. It was much wider. We, I mean, we had at one point probably you know twenty inch leg opening when we first started, which was, <laughs> was like a classic fit, which is very wide for those. of What you. year did it start? Like in two thousand three? Yeah, oh three. Yeah. Um, I remember that store in the meat, that meat packing was the first store, right? Yeah, for sure. If you would have got into real estate and not into denim, you'd probably be a billionaire. Right I wouldn't now. be here talking to you. That's, right. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> if I go back and do it again, yeah, I would yeah. Because what was what was meat packing like when you launched Gene Shop? That's right. Oh, it was awesome. It was um, literally there were still slaughterhouses there. Speaking of New York, uh, one of, one of the times that I was you know looking around trying to pretend like I knew more of what I was talking about and going into different <laughs> shops to see jeans that I was obsessed with. Uh, someone was trying to explain to me, oh, but this is Okayama denim. And that, no, 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 over here. And this is this other denim that I, I'm pardoned. I just, I can't pronounce correctly. And, but they were all Japanese denims. Right. And I was trying to understand what makes Japanese denim special. Like, what, what is the significance of it? Uh, I mean, could one of you lovely gentlemen you know what it really is it's it's a lot of the japanese gin jeans use cotton from the united states majority of them were using cotton from the united states okay um so they're bringing in the cotton it's just the way they go about it they go about the process in a slower less productive but more authentic way of dyeing and weaving um and they're really all about it, it wasn't you know most most mills out there are, are all about productivity mm. Um, and, and most of the Japanese mills were not. They're a matter of coming up. And if you want to slow down the loom so you get more surface character when you're weaving, mm-hmm. um, that's the way they did it. So they got the real authentic looks by doing it the authentic way, which is the way it was done in the early 1900s. Um, even if, you know, you, you could use the same loom and you could change the speed and you could change yarn sizes and you could change the way you're dyeing it. And you're, some people put on different, you know, a, a, a different coating on the surface so it weaves faster um, or, or sews better so it slides under the needle. The Japanese people weren't really concerned about that. Their biggest concern was, was and that's a kind of broad statement, but I do believe it. They're more concerned with the ultimate aesthetics of the product. Interesting. So, I mean, so the Japanese denim was better than whatever other thing no, I was looking no, at. No, I'm not the kind of guy that likes to generalize a statement of a country is better than another because you can make the great product in the United States and in Japan and you can even make great salvage product in, you know, overseas in Asia. There's plenty and there's nice products. So, so I don't believe that you could, that you could categorize an entire country or an entire region as better quality than others. Right. Because, you know, you can make great product in the United States from cones sewn in a factory like, you know, we do a jean shop or you could also make not such great quality product in the United States. Interesting. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that I think the over, overall generalization, not to hate on U.S. made stuff, I think like a lot of crappy U.S. made stuff gets a pass under the flag, you know? Because what Absolutely. I mean is like I think people say like, oh, it's made in U.S., it's good. It's not always good. Right. A lot of Absolutely. times like you go to factories in the U.S. and they're really sad. Yep. Like mm-hmm. it's like the technology is so outdated. Like you know factories in Asia and – I've seen this a ton too, where it's maybe not denim, but other other things, and they'll say, "Well, we have a factory in Asia, we have a factory, you know, in North Carolina." Sure, <clears throat> and like they're like the stuff we could do in Asia is so much better and I, easier. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's because the the base, you know, to be good at manufacturing, you need like it needs to be, you know, there needs to be like a critical mass of it, you know, right. and there needs to be all the support around it and all the other industry that sort of 
pushes it and and i feel like that's just not here anymore so everyone that's still making stuff here is sort of like an island there is there is you know a significant amount of technology coming into play now and i do believe that we'll start to see some some factories specifically in the denim world come back to the states um what what sort of technology uh, lasers are being used in a big way for finishing jeans lasers lasers really high tech um where you could where you could put a laser wash on a jean either on a mannequin or on a flat table or even being you know in a, in a different way you know cut fabric now um in a matter of you know minute and a half and it's better for the environment for the you know for human resources for uh, everything and a lot of what's going on in the industry right now it's about it, it, it's about transparency and 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 um the environment yeah so there's technology that's coming into play there's also you know there's technology to sew a gene because our our minimum wage has gone up dramatically, so it makes it really expensive. And water is really expensive in LA, for example, where, where most of the denim is made in the United States. Mm-hmm. So technology is, is definitely coming into play in the states. You will see. It, it'll, I don't think it'll ever be mass production of jeans in the states, but there will be you know some other factories coming back. Right. There's still a lot of people making jeans in California. I mean, it still exists. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that- Eric is saying the takeaway from today is lasers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very hung up on. on- lasers i'm gonna have to do some some deep deep searching afterwards if you you know like that i don't think a lot of people like really understand what goes into like a wash yeah up until a certain point like no jeans were ever like distressed or sort of um aesthetically adjusted you know it was just like they were utilitarian using them to go work in a yard using them for coal mining and you you want them to last longer so that the so those were the the, offer they were the better they were those were raw raw you know air quote raw denim yep (laughs) okay and so that was basically un, untouched, untreated. Yeah, just you know, like new fabric. You okay, know, that new car smell right <laughs> off the mill. It was never, never like when it comes off off the loom. Yeah, it's cut and sewn, but never touches anything after that. Yeah, and they don't wash it. They don't, you know, it doesn't do anything. And then at a certain point, it became like fashionable to have broken in jeans or stone wash. Yeah. Maybe it was like was that the first wash? You think? I think it was. I'm not sure. Stone wash or acid wash. Acid wash was pretty early yeah. on in those days. That was the '80s. I remember. I had yeah. a pair of acid wash jeans. Yeah, yeah. I think stone washing was a little bit before that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I'm wearing stone wash jeans right now. I noticed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I apologize profusely. <laughs> I kind of expect you to walk in a pair of raw jeans. You know? I know I should have. Uh, shame on me. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Michael, you're definitely onto something there. Like, how how did a lot of this stuff evolve and even take place um, in terms of washing and the treating of the denim? A lot of it was when all, when the designers started coming into play. Calvin Klein back in the day, and a lot of the other designers started making jeans. You know, they they put their twist on it. They they took the denim more from um, a workwear perspective into a design and fashion perspective. And they, they did that through stonewashing and putting, you know, different finishes on. Yeah. I know diesel made the, the, the dirty wash. Um, mm. That was, that was a big deal for me. Uh, but, but that's like the nineties, right? Yeah. That's so all the original, yeah. <laughs> all the original wash stuff I think is happening in the eighties and sort of there's this, there was this, commercial laundry basically in kentucky and i Mm. I don't you know i don't want to misspeak about some of the history or the timeline of sites and all that stuff but you know there were some guys in kentucky that were running a commercial laundry and i think they probably saw you know and again this is like my sort of loose understanding of all of it it's i think they probably saw you know they could make some more money by 
you know, sort of finishing denim. And I think washing, that's like the sort of early, early days in washing. And then still like, I think washing is this sort of manual and, and Eric saying like now it's evolving and they're using lasers. So it's like this waterless, mm-hmm. you know, like very non-invasive way of, of sort of aging denim mm-hmm. to give it an aesthetic finish. Right. That's like what washing is all about. It's but, an intense process. Yeah. But before it was like, you know, putting a balloon in a pair of jeans and like hand sanding them and airbrushing them and treating them and like washing it with rocks and, you know, there's like, and then washing, rinsing it, and there's just like spraying chemicals on a chemical bleach called potassium permanganate. They were doing, yeah, it's just this crazy process. And so there was like using a lot of water. It's kind of gross, like in terms of like the environment. It's just kind of this dirty process, dirty manual. Mm-hmm. And so like the evolution of washing, like if you hate that or you know, yeah, love it or hate it, what you know, however you feel about it, but it's changed a lot and in, in for the better. Well, absolutely. Eric, yeah, while we were talking, you, you seemed a little bit disheartened by some of the, the, the history of how some of this stuff has gone. Is there, is there any we- reason behind that? Um, no, not really. Okay. Not really. Just that, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in, in raw jeans, authentic. Yeah. I don't, you know, f- um, my first 12 year, eh, 10 years of jean shop, we didn't sell a wash jean. We sold raw only. Um, it's authentic. I'm, you know, I'm more about being authentic, but I do understand that's not what the customer wants anymore. So it doesn't, you know, got to give the customer what they want in this day and age. Sure. And what the customer wants varies now. It, it's not only an authentic look. Right. Some customers want the authentic look. Some just want a cool, you know, wash. Some want some uh, want soft and stretch. A yeah. lot of stretch now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Some want twelve percent spandex. Right. Which is Open insane. Right. That's up there. No, I yeah. mean, people want like, you know, I feel like stretch is, is one of those things that I can't believe it, but it, it went from like, I remember working at Denim Brands and it, if it had 2% stretch, it was like a, this controversial thing and maybe like one <laughs> style on the line had it, no right. one wanted it, you know, maybe it would do well at one store. Now it's like, if you don't have like tw- 10% stretch in everything, good luck, you, no one's buying it. Because the technology's also come a long way. Back yeah. in the day, it looked, it wasn't, you know. It wasn't so good looking. The jeans would look, we always refer to it as like cantaloupe skin and shrinkage problems. And, and, and you would have a problem where the jean would stretch out and never come back. So the technology of stretch through some of the denim, current denim mills has really come a, a really, really long way. Um, but yes, yeah, stretch. I mean, you know, I'm still into, into raw, raw jeans, hundred percent cotton. Um, yeah. and we have plenty of customers that are, but the majority of the people want to want comfort, comfort and soft. Yeah. I, I'm, I kind of wrestle with that because a part of me, I do whatever I do, I do want to make sure I'm, I'm following the, the authentic way. But, you know, there's also, I feel like as I've gotten older, a part of me has also been like, you know what? I don't want to buy these jeans and wait for five years right. to get them to do it. And right. so I did find myself start to gravitate to other washes. But I think that's part of the, part of the deal with, I mean, part of the thing that maybe not everyone thinks about and, I think if you work at a denim brand, you probably wear jeans every day and, yeah, you know, it's no problem. You could wear jeans whenever you want. There's a lot of people in the world that maybe you only have a couple of days a week where they can wear, wear right. jeans. Right. And they're just, you're never going to break down a pair of raw denim in two days a week. You <laughs> yeah. know? Even if you like really work at it, which is like not what you want to do, you know? Yeah, that's, that's very true. I, I feel like it was like, ah, it's like, I got to try to find some other, some other looks and some lighter colors. But a friend of mine that I was telling this to 
really politely ripped me a new one on, <laughs> I'll just be honest, on the amount of environmental waste yeah. and damage that I was doing. And I think, you know, and you already brought this up mm-hmm. on more than one occasion about the importance of, you know, you said transparency and, and also the environment. And so, I mean, I am very encouraged to hear how it, that there is a technology and there are things that are being using to use less water. I mean, okay. is that some of the stuff that you guys, you know, cause you've been through a lot of factories and mm-hmm. seen those. What, what were the things that were getting you the most excited about? And maybe some of the things that were getting you the most upset. Well, the, the most upset was back in the day when I would tour factories overseas and, and there was no, um, the environmental impact is off the charts. You know, people walking around barefoot in, in, in the washroom with chemicals on the floor. Mm. Um, chemicals weren't getting measured out. They were just getting poured into a drum and then down the drain. But those, you know, it was a while ago. The industry's come a really long way and, and, and they've, they've taken tremendous steps. And um, majority of the factory owners now are, are responsible. That's and, awesome. And, and, and the governments, even overseas, are getting very involved and in going and shutting down laundries. I mean, it happened in China recently. The government comes in and they're starting to do water testing. Good. And, and, and they're literally shutting down laundries and saying, you have to go in this zone to move your laundry here because the government filters the water there if you guys aren't going to do it responsibly. And there's a factory in, in, in Vietnam that I was in twice in the past two years that's, you know, at the end of the day with the water that comes out from their laundry, you could drink. Oh my that's gosh. What, yeah, literally. That's fantastic. They take, they take all the waste, they put it in a block, they actually do environmentally friendly things with the, with, with, with the waste. Um, and then what they put back into the environment is, is very little because they reuse their water throughout the day. They use solar panels to, you know, to, to, to make energy. They hang the jeans in the sun to dry them. So it's, it's, it's come a long way. It still has a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. There's still sure. a lot of people that need to get involved in this. And there's a lot of um, panels and speaking throughout the industry now about this. Yeah. Um, the whole, you know, Kingpin show was a big, is a big show, denim show denim trade show and there's a there's a speaking series called transformers and it's great and it's a lot about the environment right now yeah um but but people are taking responsibility and it's about time well one of the things that i've seen both of you guys do on your on your clothing is also repairs yeah you know and and darning and to to keep wearing them i think you know maybe it's like the baby boomer generation or the gen x generation or whatever it was but it was like oh there's a hole it's just get rid of it but especially with denim, it's like, oh, there's a hole. Like, this is like something to celebrate. Like, how, how can we patch this? How can we make this unique? Yeah. So um, I, I have another, another company, which I don't even know if you know. I didn't set this question up, even though it sounds like you lobbed it. Oh, I know. Called denimrepair.com, <laughs> where we repair, we repair jeans. Yeah. It's, it's becoming more and more and more popular um, because people don't want to give them up. And, and a lot of it is coming from the new generation, as you said. It's, it's the younger kids. They don't want to throw them out. They don't want to be wasteful with product. They don't want to throw out a pair of jeans. There's, there's many times that people send us a pair of jeans that, that literally could have been a $70 retail jean mm-hmm. that they're spending $100 to repair because they have to repair the crotch, they have to repair the knees, they have to repair a blown out pocket. Um, and they're willing to do that instead of taking that jean and throwing it out and starting with a new pair. Well, and how does that repair take place? Like if, if someone's like, well, I don't even know what that means. Um, oh, there's, there's equipment that's used. There's some vintage equipment that you referred to. It's called a, called a darning machine that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two darning machines. One's vintage, one's relatively new. And what that is, it's a machine that's made for repairing jeans. Typically, what you have to do is go ahead and open up your out seam of your jean. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to literally open up the seam um, and, and re-sew it after. 
because you have to get your jean on a flat table to get it under a sewing needle. Ah, uh, interesting. Okay, with a darning machine, that's not the case. It's 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 an arm. It's called the free arm machine. So you, you you could take your leg and put the whole leg of the jean over the arm, so you could just do your repair without opening up the leg of the jean. Um, and the darning is actually you're taking one yarn, you're anchoring a yarn on one side of the hole, and you're carrying it to the other side of the hole, and back and forth. So some people call it reweaving. It's not technically reweaving, but it's similar to reweaving your jean in that spot. So what you do is you, you match your thread color as close as you can. Right. And then you darn it up. And, um, you know, if you do a great job at it, it's, 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 you know, you can always see it, but it's not as, as apparent that there was, that there was a hole there. I always go for the repair that's, um, like really obvious. Seriously. I'm always like, just make it look repaired. I don't, I literally don't care what you do. Yeah. There's some people that say, I don't care what color thread you use. That's me. I don't, I don't want it to look new. I, I, I'm cool with it looking old. Yeah. Um, sometimes we put a patch on it though. Just say, put a piece of, you know, denim over it and stitch it on. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but but repairing um, is is without a doubt, you know, coming on full steam. Yeah. Instead of throwing the, we, we say mending is better than ending. That's our little mending, catch line. Mending oh, there you go. Is better than ending. Yeah. I was gonna say actually going back a question or going back to the sustainability diatribe that sure. Jeremy went on or the statement that Jeremy <laughs> going back to sustainability. You know, Eric, your business is actually a sustainable business because like if you look at from an environmental sustainability impact thing, buying one really well-made pair of jeans that were made, that has fabric that was made, you know, in a probably, I I don't know, I don't know where all the fabric comes from, so I don't want to speak for Jean Shop, but, Mm -hmm. you know, from the U.S. or from Japan or from a place where there's OSHA and labor standards and Mm -hmm. fair treatment of workers, um, and, you know, environmental standards. And, you know, so you're sourcing from these, those types of countries generally. And it's also, you're buying one pair of jeans. It's bad for your business model, but kind of, you know, it is. You're, right. you're buying one pair of jeans for every five years. You're not buying a pair of jeans every month and throwing them away and, right. or yeah. donating them or whatever. You know, it's like I have eight pairs of jeans for the last 10 years. You know, I just don't, I just don't buy jeans. Right. Which is honestly, it is, a, it is, you know, a bit of an issue these days because you sell a great product. Somebody comes in and they say, you know, I bought a pair of jeans and I wear them all the time and they're still, you know, relatively raw and I don't need another pair, but what else do you have? Yeah. Because they don't need another pair. I think it's a good time to actually talk about caring for your jeans because that's, that's a, that's a big topic. Let's hear it. And I know Mr. Porter too, because we did a video, you actually did a video with, yeah. with my jeans, with yeah. the jean shop. Yeah. That was a great video too. I think that's like top, yeah, top. one of the top videos that. I mean, I, it was for a while. It was like number two. I, yep. I haven't, I haven't checked. I check the stats usually every other day. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Well, I haven't looked in a while, but it was, it was really. It was interesting. Well done. Yeah. I used it's to get a lot of, a lot of vibes from people like just with denim care. You don't have to follow rules. Like just do, just go where your heart takes Absolutely. you with this stuff. It's a great point. No, it's, it's. It's a great way to put it. There's no rules. You, you, you do what you want to do. They, the genes will evolve as they evolve. They'll evolve differently with how you care for them. But some people don't care about that. That's not important. It's more, mm. it's, you know, it's more important, less important to certain people. Have you noticed in your shop, like, because you have the wall of fame, yeah. right? Have you noticed like the evolution of phones in, in gene pockets? Oh, absolutely. Like, I did a whole time? story with the New York Times about this. Actually. Really? Yeah, legitimately. Interesting. Yeah, yeah because... You oh. know, people put the phone in the front pocket. It, it makes a square. The phone outline, yeah. Uh-huh, the phone outline. That's, you know, it's a kind of a cool thing for a lot of people. And when when Apple changed from, I don't remember the numbers, from the 5, 6, 4, I don't remember what the numbers were. They changed from one six. size to another one. Yeah. 
Um, I got a call from an editor in New York, from the fashion of the New York Times, and we did a whole story on it because it was a different outline. There were some people that were not happy about it. <laughs> and there were legitimately people that the New York Times found it that they won't change their phone for that reason. That's funny. So, yeah, you bring that up, and is that, it's actually a, it's quite But I funny. was thinking, I was, the, the thing that sort of the thought that led me there was certain people tend to break in genes that become sort of more aesthetically pleasing. Absolutely. I've never been able to get like that perfect, like, structure on the back of the jeans or on the knee on the back of the knee yeah the honeycomb Whatever, yeah, yeah 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 a lot of us do fit i mean a, a lot of us do fit if the jeans are if the jeans are, are more snug on you tighter on you mm-hmm. um they're going to break in faster um and you're going to get more of that attitude on the back of the knee and the front of the knee but they're more uncomfortable yeah. you know we, have, we literally have customers um one one story i could think of specifically the guy came in and he was flying from new york to tokyo and he legitimately wanted to wear a pair of new jeans the entire flight. And they were skin tight. Oh, boy. And, and, and I'm like, you're really going to wear these on the plane? And he goes, it's the best time to break them in because I'm going to be sitting in one position. And it's, oh you know, God. yeah. And that's, that's what awful. the guy wanted to do. And it, it's awful because I can't do that. I, I put on a pair of raw jeans about three weeks ago. And, and, and I was in the store and I put them on. I'm like, wow, these are really uncomfortable. And the people in my, the staff in the store looks at me like, now he's like a customer. I'm like, no, but they're legitimately uncomfortable. It's like that first day in raw jeans, and you're, you're thinking, like, why am I doing this? But right. then by the time— You can't bend down. Yeah. Then eventually, by the end of the day, they're fine. They're and, great. Yeah. So this guy literally wore them on, on a, whatever, you know, 13-hour flight. He actually did it. I, I assume so. He bought them and said he was going to do it that, that afternoon. So oh, God um, bless him. It'll, but that's how you wear it in. You know what I mean? You just, yeah. You, you, just, you just wear it to death. You wear it when it's tight, when your body heats up and it starts to mold, you know, the jeans a little bit. Yeah. But no judgment, again, but— I think me personally, I wouldn't sort of go out of my way to wear in my jeans. Right. You know, I'd sort of just, you know, my life isn't about my jeans. My jeans are just a part of my life. Right. But, you know, different strokes for different folks, right? It's like whatever you're into. And some people are really into that. And it's like showing that stuff off on the internet, you know? Yep. I would say one could, one could argue that like true authenticity is basically just wearing them when they're, when they are the utility versus... Mm-hmm. conforming yourself yeah right. to make them i agree with be that, your absolutely. jeans you yep. know th- there was like a I, I think like i was never purist enough for a lot of people like i think i'm like maybe like lower mid of the scale in terms of purity and i can appreciate that stuff i don't always you know i have a you know we were talking about environmentally friendly jeans and mm-hmm. i think the factory you're talking about was cytex correct yeah in vietnam and yep. you know they've like made these great leaps in terms of being environmentally friendly and outer known is making their jeans there. And I have a pair of outer known jeans that are selvage, you know, and they're, they're not like a purist would kind of scoff maybe at that concept of pair of selvage jeans made in Vietnam, you know, by like a surfer. Mm. But you know, like to me, I'm like, that's cool. Like I love it. You know, I think their jeans are, are great for what they're doing. And just like in terms of making a statement for sustainability, um, but so like, I've never been like on that super purist thing, but then there's like the guys, like if you look at like maybe the guys at Selfedge, like who are right. super into Japanese denim and like very, very pure, right. you know, I think like that. I'm a little bit up from you, but I'm still not at the top where there's a lot of custom, my customers even are a lot more purist than I am where they come in and they take the stuff really like, like you're referring to really crazy. Seriously. It's cool though. It's like, if that's what you're into, it's, it's like it's no different than being like, I'm into wine. I know the winemaker, like. I know the grapes. I know like what the microclimate is on mm-hmm. this hill. Like I know the way the sun hits it. Like right. they care about that stuff, you know, and to them, like that's, 
that's a big deal to me. I'm kind of like, oh, it's cool. Like I could be into, you know, a pair of Gap jeans or I could, you know, I kind of try to find the thing that I like about, you know, one aspect passion. or something. Yeah. Very passion comes yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there were more in the past, there were more people involved and interested in, in denim in that way than there is today. Mm. The new generation just doesn't seem to be as, as interested and concerned. They're, they're more interested in environmental price comfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to, uh, we're about to wrap this up, but one of the things that I, I want to draw from Michael this, and I could talk all day. No, this is great. But <laughs> one of the things I want to draw from this is the fact that I didn't hear any sort of negative scoffing at jeans not made in the U.S. or jeans that should only be made in Japan or jeans that, and I mean, when we think about, you know, how like the gene itself, not denim, but the gene itself really kind of originated in America and has has really just globalized across all these things. I mean, all these other countries and all these other places. And the fact that, you know, we're all kind of championing that is a really sweet thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean that versus, you know, other people may feel about certain, whether it's food that can only be made here or clothing or that. So this is, this is really sweet. And I think it, it, it definitely wraps up to how things evolve, but the beauty and the, the, the passion behind all of it. So I, I really, really want to thank you guys so much for your time. Uh, but before we, we do wrap, is, is there anything else you guys would like to add or mention? One thing is that, you know, we're talking about like made in US stuff and yeah. made other places. I, I'm not like hung up on, you know, everything being made in America or whatever, but I will say, I think it's, you know, w- w- when Cone closed White Oak, the mill said yeah just really sad and and it's just like you see those things happening and you know it's like never coming back it's never going to be the same and 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 it's it's also just sad that there's not the will like there's not someone out there with the vision to make that work or a company that could have made that work well what what made cone special i I know you you said it was the last well it was it was the original salvage supplier in the united states and it was the last salvage supplier in the united states Nobody else makes salvage denim in the United States. Yeah, does does Vernon Mills, do they make salvage? No. no. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, it's just so, like... So, let me ask your opinion on this now, Michael. Let's take this question a step further. What does made in the USA mean to you if the fabric's not made in the USA, the components aren't made in the USA? Yeah. I, what does made in the USA mean? I mean, I still think it's... It's hard to... You, you know, I think... I don't know. If you want to look at the FTC guidelines of what made in the USA is. And, and, you know, we're actually a country that's strict about the rules about what, how things are designated made in the U S I think if you want to like, look at that, you know, you could say like most of the value in denim is in the, or in a pair of jeans is in the fabric. And so technically they're just assembled. And so it's like maybe a lesser designation. I don't know. Like I, I think like the ultimate pair of jeans was like, you know, cone, white oak denim sewn in the u.s right which is what we do yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know and i think um when it's not that it's you know it's not that but i still think it's really hard to it, there's it's hard to find needle in the u.s like it's hard to make things in the u.s so anyone's still doing it i think it's you know they're like you know they're fighting a good fight mm-hmm. you know and i think if you want to like politicize like main u.s or there's all these other things swirling around it, I think, which just sort of complicate that, you know, it's still like a place with OSHA and with r- workplace mm. rules. And, you know, and it's, it's, to me, it was like more about the tradition. It's like cool to be able to wear 
the same version of something that maybe my grandfather wore or mm-hmm. that existed at a right. certain time. And in, in a way it's like a door back in time. Right. And so it's just, it's sad to see the door close. It doesn't mean that there's not good denim out there or good things in the world, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not the end all be all, but it was, you know, I, I always thought like I'd, I'll buy jeans from them because I want to support them. I want to support the things that exist or I want to support things that I enjoy. I want them to exist. Right. That's like my, you know, it's like when we go to a museum, I don't try to like figure out a way to get in for free. I always pay <laughs> right. the full boat because right. I want to like support them. Yeah. I want them right. to exist. I want Absolutely. them to be there. Right. You know? Absolutely. So, well, I mean, with what you said is, is it really true that, I mean, that door is closed forever. Do you think that there could be a possibility of American made denim, like selvage denim again? Or is it? Well, there's another that's mill that's starting up um, in, in, in Georgia as we speak. Um, yeah. Not selvage. Wide goods, not selvage. Okay. But they are starting a new denim um, mill in the U.S. Uh, and as I said earlier, you know, my comments earlier were about technology and is, is, is going to help out in the United States as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't say the door is closed, but I would say it's um it's not open so uh, widely either. It's a little mm. little, a little gap left. That's bittersweet, I guess. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For the gap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great, great. This has been awesome. I mean, now, Eric, if I can make one more pitch, uh, please. This, I please mean, whether do you, you want to edit out or not? But no, no, no. Uh, Denim Days is a trade show that we do for the denim industry, and we we you know we travel from Nashville to New York City. Bunch of denim brands get together. We have speaking panels similar, you know, to this. Yeah. Uh, we talk about environmental issues. We talk about transparency issues, sustainability issues. We talk about where fabrics come from. So it's just a, it's a fun thing. Um, you can look it up. It's uh it's called denimdays dot dot com. If you'd like me to annoy you every day, follow me on social media. No, I'm just <laughs> well, so, thank you very much for everything. Thank you. Great time. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks. You've been listening to a special three-part podcast series from Mr. Porter and Blamo. This episode was produced in collaboration with Mr. Porter and Blamo Media. We are edited by Brendan Finn. Special thanks to the Mr. Porter editorial team and Jeremy Langmead. If you like this show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. See you soon.